0: very special this morning uh, to welcome uh, one of our elders um, he is somebody who is really uh, loving the Lord uh, been a part of this church since uh, the church planted uh, 14 plus years ago uh, we are so welcome we are so thankful uh, to uh, introduce um, I want to call him pastor Dave but uh, Dave you ought to mark and we give him a hand and um
1: so formal. Yeah, I
0: he's like so formal hey yeah wow. been a while. thank you we thank you dave and <laughs> can we pray for today's message let's pray for it lord we just say thank you this morning god that uh, you allow us to come here and we have the privilege of celebrating you jesus And we thank you that we can come and worship together, we can fellowship, and Lord, we can be hearers and doers of your word. So Holy Spirit, come and open up our hearts to your word this morning. Lord, let it come alive in our lives. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Hey, good morning. It's been a while. And so there's brighter lights. Uh, There's lays. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. You know, it was uh, pretty interesting preparing for this message. I I, I actually, I just thought about this. First, I want to thank Jill back there who's doing the media shout (laughs) because um, I think I changed this message, I don't know, maybe 10 times or something. (laughs) And the last one version I just sent to Jill like at 8 (laughs) a.m. So when she came, I said, hey, you know what? We're going to just roll today. (laughs) Um, But I'll explain a little bit and confide in you a little bit um, maybe, it, I, I think, as you know, and Jim t- Miyashiro talked about it last week, sometimes the message that we prepare are as much for us speaking as it is for you guys. Um, and me going through this process of changing the message um, was also, um, I think, a lesson for me. And I'll share it with that if we have some time at the end. If not, you'll just be in suspense. But, um, so, good morning. Uh, my name, again, is Dave Oyanari And it's been a while since I've been up here speaking. It's good to be back. Uh, And like as always, uh, there was always um, stuff going on this week that I thought, man, uh, the enemy does not want me to talk (laughs) uh, this week. So I'm really happy to be here, made it. Um, And we're continuing through the book of Judges. Uh, Isn't it a good book? I'm I'm hoping that when we say we go through the book of Judges, that many of you, if not all of you, um, don't just read the scripture that's up here uh, and then go away and come back next week. But that you're going home in your Bibles and looking in the Book of Judges and actually rereading it, uh, that would be my desire for you, um, because if you haven't read through the Book of Judges yet, um, one you can't take our word for it. Okay, so we're the we're the people up here giving the message, but you got to read it for yourself, right? You got to say like, do I agree with what that guy said or that person said, right? Because it's God's word, it's not my word, right? So please. Read the Bible for yourself. And so we're going to go over Judges chapters 13 through 16. Write it down. Uh, it doesn't take that long to read. Um, so I would say, I, don't just take my word for it. Go back and read the Bible for yourself. The second thing you're going to see, the book of Judges, and hopefully you've already kind of picked this stuff up, is it's so relevant to us here in 2017. Um, the, the, the core theme here is that you know God's society, the society in which we're reading the book of Judges they are not following closely to God, right? In fact, they're openly disobeying God in a lot of his commands. They're chasing other gods with the small g, right? And they're following their fleshly desires. They're, they're following what's, what we know as the worldview, right? And they're not following God's view. And I think, man, that is so, sounds so familiar to today, right? And instead of taking what I would call the spiritual high road, People are just following uh, and get influenced by the worldview. And if you want to know for yourself, like, am I following other gods with the small g? Like, what does that mean? I would say to you, um, look at where you spend your time. Look at where you spend your money. Uh, look where your, your brain space is being spent. That is your gods with a small g. And then challenge yourself, right? Is God a Sunday activity checkbox? Or is God, the creator of the universe, the one who loves you, the one who creates you, is he central in your life? Uh, And that is at the heart of the book of Judges, is that God's people, as we look over and over again, didn't really have God in the center of their life. Uh, And there are consequences. But then there is God's love, and he keeps showing up and continues to reach out to his people in spite of their stumblings. So Judges is a good read, and I'm gonna encourage you to read it. Today we're gonna talk about, and and Jim previewed it last week, the story of Samson. And I like to think of Samson as the world's first superman. He is a man of superhuman strength. We find out a a kind of superhero among God's people. I I think of him as almost a freak of nature. you know. And if you read the story of Samson really superficially, you'll say, okay, I got it. Israel's Superman conquers the oppressors, the Philistines, next book. But when you go much deeper and a much more profound level in the story of Samson, you'll see, ironically, it is not about Samson's superhuman strength at all, but it's about his weakness. Because Samson is so strong and he's so physically gifted what ends up happening is he relies on those physical gifts of his strength to guide his decisions instead of seeking God. And as a result, our loving God allows Samson to feel the full brunt of the consequences of his behavior, but then the story doesn't end there. In the end, we'll see that Samson's weakness, in his weakness, God's sovereignty shines even brighter. It's a a great lesson for us. And so as I unpack Samson, I I want you to start thinking to yourself, what is your Samson? What is your God-given talents or skills or strengths? And and how can that maybe trip you up in following the life that God wants you to lead? So I'm gonna summarize the the story of Samson in really three main points. And the first point is, give God more give God more. See, Samson's unique God-given strength or talent was the superhuman strength, but we see that he relies on it more than he relies on God. And as a result, he's going to bear some consequences. But one of the things we learn is we got to give God more. The second point is that God often uses everyday people. What's interesting about the Bible is when you read the Bible, God doesn't typically use brand names to get to move spiritually and powerfully in the world. He's not going to use Rockefeller or the Carnegies. Are you any Rockefellers or Carnegies in the room, right? Or Buffett or Gates or, or Bezos or Jobs, right? Pillars of who we think are like powerful people. But God uses everyday people. We we'll look at that. And the third point I want to make is that there's always hope for new beginnings with God. See, in spite of our failures and our stumblings, as we'll see, Samson is just as human as, as you and me. But God never leaves him, and he will give him hope, just as he will give us hope. So I know many of you know already the story of Samson, but I thought it would be important to just review it so we're all on the same page, okay? So bear with me, we're gonna go through the book of Samson, <clears throat> and it starts like this, right? So first of all, my son Joshua last week asked my wife Tammy to me, Hey, mom and dad, if you could be any superhero, who would you be? (coughs) Who would you be, right? And how many of you would say Superman? Because that's who Samson was. Um, He he once tore a line apart with his bare hands, right? I can't even imagine what that would be like. See, I envision Samson as this kind of brawny, muscular man, you know, like Beauty and the Beast, Gaston, right? Or... He's like the macho man. He's like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's like Sylvester Stallone or, or The Rock, doing The Rock Johnson of his day, right? And during Samson's time, God allows his people, the Israelites, to be ruled by the Philistines because of their disobedience, okay? Then an angel of the Lord appears to Samson's parents and says, you're gonna have a son who's gonna deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. And Samson was to be what's called a Nazarite. And the Nazarites were those people that were set, set apart for the Lord, right? They had like a special calling. And for, in this case, the angel told Samson's mom, don't drink alcohol, no wine, and do not cut his hair. And for Samson, he had to follow the same things. And this was like a physical act of his obedience to being set apart for the Lord. Samson, however, is a man, as you'll see, he's filled with lust for beautiful women, He marries and goes, hey, mom and dad, go get me that Philistine woman I saw. Man, wow. And his mom and dad are like, but you know, we're not supposed to do that, right? Isn't there somebody else you might want to marry, right? He says, no, I want that Philistine woman. His wife betrays him, shames him, and in fact, costs him money. Samson relies on his strength, and he single-handedly uh, fights 30 men <coughs> to, and takes their property to pay off the debt he incurs from his wife's betrayal. He's filled with revenge and he becomes a menace to the Philistines using his superhuman strength to like, tie these foxes' tails together, a, a torch in their tails and sets the grain fields on fire of the Philistines. Using his superhuman strength and with the jawbone of a, of a donkey Samson kills 1,000 Philistine men single-handedly. And when the Philistines plot to kill him, he single-handedly rips the gates off of the city uh, wall and he carries it with him. Then he has this love interest, Delilah, who coaxes Samson to reveal the source, I put in quotes, the source of his strength, which is really his long hair that's never been cut. And then she shaves his hair off for bribe money. She gets bribed, and she gets paid a lot of money for this. And then he loses his strength. The Lord leaves him. Then he's taken prisoner by the Philistines. They gouge out his eyes, so he's blind, and he's enslaved. Now, blind, imprisoned, broken, buzz haircut, Samson asks God, can you give me strength one last time? And God answers Samson. And with that strength one last time, he busts down the Philistine temple and kills thousands of Philistines and himself in the process. And this then sets in motion a chain of events that eventually frees God's people from the Philistines just as the angel had said to his mother before he was born. So that's the story of Samson, right? And there's some remarkable truths that come out of this story. And the first one is, we've got to give God more. See, when I look at Samson's story, I look into his character, I really infer that although he's this Nazarite, right, set apart for the Lord, Samson's a guy who really doesn't seem to obey many of God's commands. Not a a very godly guy, right? See, when he's faced with a problem... He relies on his super, superhuman strength time and time again. So in that one situation, right, he's at his bachelor party, and he goes, you know, you guys can answer this riddle of mine. I'm going to give each of you a robe. But if, if you cannot answer, you're going to give me a robe, each of you. Why do you make such a silly bet <laughs> first, in the first place? But then his Philistine wife gets pressured by these men, like, hey, you know what? We're gonna do some harm to you and your family. You better go ask Samson what what this riddle is, the answer to his riddle, because we have no idea what it's about. So she pleads Samson and finally he gives in and tells her the answer to the riddle, and then he ends up losing the bet. Because she tells the, the Philistine men the answer to his riddle. So what does Samson do rather than go, like, oh, I'm such an idiot, you know, I gotta you know, be better, and I, 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 why did I even make that bet in the first place, and look, I'm marrying a Philistine woman who I barely know, no, he doesn't do that, instead he gets mad, and he goes, beats up 30 other guys, steals their robe, and gives it to the, the other guys who he owes the bet, right, like, what's that about? In another situation, um, that wife is given to another man, and in his anger, he, he gets 300 foxes, right, and he sets them loose, burns the Philistines' grain, and he creates this like, war between the Philistines and him. Right? Now they really want to take this guy down. They eventually kill his wife and, and the father-in-law because they're like, you know, that Samson guy causing us too much trouble. And then he takes his vengeance on them when they try to bind him, and he kills a thousand of the Philistines. Finds his own justice in his own strength. And then ultimately, right, you you look at his love interest in Delilah, and and after, again, her pleading, you know, what is the source of your strength? And the first time he's like, you know, fresh ropes. That's what will do it. So she ties him up with fresh ropes. And then she goes, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Boom, he breaks out of the ropes. And she's like, oh, you lied to me. If you really love me, you will tell me what the true source of your strength is. And after three times... And and pleading by Delilah, he finally tells her, well, if you shave my head, I'm going to lose my power. And then we know the story where he, he basically gets put into slavery. See, in Judges 16.20, after Delilah shaves his head, it says, you know, Samson awoke from his sleep and thought, you know, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left. See, we might read this to ourselves and say, like, boy, that Samson guy, he's so arrogant, right? He relied on his strength. He didn't rely on the Lord. I mean, in fact, he needed to take very seriously the Lord's command never to shave his head because if he did, he wouldn't have have given his secret over to Delilah. But I think the truth is, there's a bit of Samson in each of us, right? What do I mean? See, like Samson, I think if we were honest, we'd admit that we over-rely on our gifts as well, our God-given gifts instead of God. See, when you're at work or you're at school, uh, just everyday life, and you face something challenging, like a challenging situation, do you first think to pray and ask for God's wisdom, or are you quick to respond with the strengths that you already have? What's your Samson? See, I think for people who are particularly gifted at something, it's even harder to invite God to provide guidance and help. See, we might think that, you know, God gave me this talent or skill, so I have to use it, right? And and I think, yeah, that's true. But the the danger is you over-rely on yourself and your strengths. And it's the same trap that I think Samson fell into. See, God seeks our obedience. And the book of Judges is about Israel's lack of obedience and the consequences that come from it. See, your Samson, your God-given gift, Depends on your obedience to the Lord. And like Samson, your strength ironically has the potential to become your greatest weakness. For what we are strong in, we tend to rely less on God. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and and verses 9 and 11 God's power is made perfect in weakness. And for when I am weak, then I am strong. So, how much. Are you submitting your life to God? Trusting God, giving God more of your decision-making and your actions instead of relying on your own strengths. The second point is that God often uses everyday people. See, one of the remarkable things I've talked about is that when you read the Bible, and the story of Samson is no different, God uses just everyday people. To carry out his will. Let's start with this. Samson was born to a mother who was medically unable to give birth. See, in in Judges chapter 13, verse 2, it says Samson's mother was childless, unable to give birth. So you think to yourself, why would God do this? It's not explicitly explained in the Bible. However, doesn't it remind you of other situations? I thought about Sarah, Abraham's wife, right? She was like 90 years old or something, right? And she gave birth to her first son, Isaac. It also reminded me of Mary, who gives birth to Jesus, and she's still a virgin. And I thought, what all these accounts have in common is that if not for God, these births were impossible. And so my best guess is that God does miracles in impossible situations so that witnesses can attribute this only to God. You can't reason it away. And again, in our weaknesses, in the impossible, God shines brightly. The blind see, the crippled walk, and the childless have children. The second interesting thing about just everyday people is that a person's status on earth doesn't necessarily correlate with who God chooses to use. And this is particularly true of women in the Bible, I see. See, if God, the creator of our universe, came right now and we, we knew it was God, and he said, Look, everybody, I'm looking for someone to carry out my will, to lead this mission I'm, I, I want to give you, I think a lot of us would be like, Yeah, choose me, God. I mean, I'll do it, right? But in the worldview, we might start to think like, well, who would the important people be? Who should God use? Maybe it would be people with titles, like the pastor, or maybe the CEO, or maybe God's gonna use the governor, or the mayor, or the senator. But when you look at the Bible, from people like Moses and David, who are like these lowly shepherd guys, you look at Naomi and Ruth, and Elizabeth and Mary, Peter and John, everyday fishermen, right? Right? Or Gideon from last week's message. God just chooses who he chooses. Not who the world chooses, right? And he often looks beyond the fancy titles or status. And as I'm reading through the story of Samson, I realize something kind of interesting in that not once is Samson's mother's name ever mentioned. She's known as the wife of Manoah. She is called her, the woman, his wife, she. And yet she is super important. She gives birth to the deliverer of the Israelites over the Philistines, but we don't even know her name. And yet this unnamed woman is quite remarkable. She displays great wisdom, even beyond that of her husband, Samson's father, in Judges 13-22, after Samson's father realizes that he's seen the angel of the Lord, he starts to panic and he starts to say, we're doomed to die. Since casting your eyes on, on holiness is presumed punishable by death, you see. And so he's, he's panicking. But in verse 23, Samson's mom, who is the voice of reason, calms her husband Manoah down and says, you know, your emotional outburst is not very logical. She says, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not not have accepted our burnt offering or grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things or now told us this. And I sort of imagine that the husband, Manoah, is like scared, crying, and he's like, "Oh, oh yeah, that's right, huh? See, God knew exactly what he was doing when he chose Samson's mother to bring Samson into the world. He chose a woman of great wisdom, a logical mind, and who was obedient to the Lord, and she was just an everyday person. The angel of the Lord first appeared to Samson's mom to tell her that she was gonna be pregnant with this special boy. And hearing this from his wife, Samson's dad, prays to the Lord, says, send the messenger back, because we wanna know how to raise this boy. But you catch this, okay? The father prays to the Lord, Send the messenger back. And the Lord answers Samson's father's prayer, but he doesn't respond directly to the father. He responds to Samson's mom. It says, God heard, in Judges 13, 9, it says, God heard Manoah, right, his father, and the angel of God came again to the woman. Right? Manoah prays, but it isn't like the messenger and the angel came to the father. He came to Samson's mom. And the implication is this. God's ways are his alone. And we shouldn't presume anything about titles or status matters at all to God. God will use whoever whoever he chooses, and that's consistent throughout the Bible. So for many of us today, if your name is not Rockefeller or Carnegie, Bezos or Buffett or Gates... Maybe you don't have a big, important social status or title. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready to be used by God. Because God uses everyday people. And the third point, take out of the Samson story here, is that there's always hope for new beginnings with God. You know that Johnny Lee song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places, right? Maybe those of you, maybe older, you know what song I'm talking about. And I can't sing, so I'm not gonna sing it, but. Um, <laughs> looking for love. Okay, anyway, Samson's story is a bit like that song, right? Samson's wife betrays him, you know, leads him to shame, costs him the bet, right? Leads him down this dark, dark path of anger and, and revenge. And Delilah, his, his latest love interest, is more interested in money than in love, plays on his affections just to collect this bribe money to uncover the secret of his strength. And what does Samson get for all his misguided love in all the wrong places, right? His eyes are gouged out. And as we as we the irony here, when we look in the book of Matthew and Mark, those same eyes that led him astray lustfully towards these Philistine women are the very things that are taken from him, that he may not disobey God again. So let's look in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And Jesus himself said to us in Matthew 18, 9, and in Matthew 5, 29, and again in Mark 9, 47, and if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. See, a once feared human, Samson, is enslaved. He's subject to hard labor, marked by the Philistines. And like Samson, the decisions we make that run counter to God can come with these serious consequences. And and, and we're in this tough place when God steps back from us. In the Bible, in in the Judges, it say, and the Lord left him. The Lord left Samson. And so I was thinking about where, where are the consequences that we experience, and where is love when, when God allows us to fear the brunt of these consequences of our behavior? And I was reminded of the story when my son Josh was about seven years old. We were in this busy mall, right? Tammy, Josh, and me, and, and we kept telling Josh, stay close, you're gonna get lost, you know, if you don't stay close to us. And Josh was just dilly-dallying, like, yeah, yeah, whatever, right, like not paying attention, and so Tam was kind of walking far ahead. I don't remember where she was going. And so I was kind of with Josh. I'm like, hey, hurry up. You know, like, stay close. And he wasn't paying attention to me. So I ducked behind a pillar where I could see him, but I know he couldn't see me. And then, um, after about 10 seconds, maybe it was long, but it felt like a long 10 seconds, he, he, he realized, like, we're nowhere in sight. And his eyes started to like dot around, like, oh no, where's mom and dad? And I could see that his eyes were getting very watery, and his face became flushed. And after letting his panic set in, right, I stepped from the pillar and I was like, ha, <laughs> right? You thought you lost, right? You were lost, right? And you were scared, right? And he looks at me, and Josh looks at me with his sheepish smile, kind of like, oh, like teary-eyed and everything. No, something was stuck in my eye. <laughs> then of course, Josh and I had a really, another long talk about staying close and listening to mom and dad, because you can get lost, right? And this time, Josh squeezed my hand super tightly, and we walked through the mall together, and he stayed pretty close. But did I do that to be mean to Josh? No, I was out of love for my son. I wanted him to feel the consequences of his behavior before I stepped in. I always had my eye on him. I always knew where he was. And I think that's how God is with us. He steps back. He sees the decisions we're making. And he's going to let us feel the brunt of our, the consequences of those decisions and the behaviors. But he never leaves us. He always has his eyes on us. See, Samson's blindness and his new life as a slave without that superhuman strength must have been, I think, quite a humbling experience for Samson. See, he was used to probably being the toughest, the biggest, the the strongest kid on the block, right? And yet, what Samson's story tells us is that God is sovereign. In spite of, of what happened to Samson, and he's like, you know, loses his strength, and the Philistines capture him, and enslave him, we learn that God can still work things out for his purposes, because God is sovereign. And in spite of his character flaws, Samson was still someone who God used to destroy thousands of Philistines. There's always hope for new beginnings with God. And at the end of the story, Samson prays to God one last time for a superhuman strength to return to him and God answers Samson's prayer, brings down the temple with his bare hands, kills thousands of Philistines in his final act in his entire life. And from Samson's disobedience, I find it interesting that there is still hope for new beginnings. In Judges 16, there was something interesting that it says there. It says, after Samson's hair was shaved, it says, but the hair in his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And I said, why would that be in the Bible? Because really, his power never came from his hair. It really came from God, right? But the point is this. You know, I I think it was a a symbol of hope for new beginnings. See, Samson's hair wasn't what was important. And while we don't know how long his hair was at the time he, he crushed the temple at the end, we do know that there was redemption in his final act of strength. And the bottom line is in spite of his disobedience, God was still sovereign. God still used him to accomplish his goal. So no matter what role we think we play, and no matter when we screw things up, don't fret. God is still always in control. He's still sovereign. He may step back to allow us to to feel the brunt of our consequences of our our disobedience and our sin, but God never leaves us. And there's always hope for new beginnings with God. So in conclusion, right, when we look back to last week for Gideon, Samson and Gideon have something very important in common. Gideon was this weak, unwarrior like in stature person And yet God used Gideon and a very small army to defeat this great, huge Midianite army. In Gideon's weakness, God's strength shined brightly. Samson, in contrast, is physically strong in stature, but he's weak in character. And yet God used this blind, humiliated Samson to bring the downfall of the Philistines And in Samson's weakness, God's faithfulness shined brightly. And this you'll see when you read the book of Judges is a common theme throughout the book, that in our human weaknesses, God's strength and his faithfulness shines even brighter. See, what the world sees as physical strength, as power, in contrast, those with God's perspective see power as being obedience, and humility before God. And we see that, you know, when we give God more, it means that we must trust not on our strengths, but the Lord. However tempting and easy it is to just rely on what we're good at, we actually need to remember what happened to Samson and how he stumbled and say, yeah, but maybe I really need to be inviting God into this situation and seek his wisdom and his guidance the second thing we see is that god often uses everyday people sometimes we say it's the special people that are called to do the great things sometimes we say yeah well it's pastor mark will do that or pastor max pastor sunny it's it's the, the pastors of the church they're the holy people but god might be calling you the everyday minister to go out in your workplace and be salt and light there if God can use an unnamed woman to bring a special boy into the world to conquer the Philistines, he can use you. And and you might also be someone like me who'd be like, yeah, but I know I'm not the greatest and I'll stumble. I don't want to let God down. I I don't want to be the guy. Know that no matter what, no matter your, your, your shortcomings, there's always hope for new beginnings with God. No matter what you did in the past, There's always new beginnings with God. So I think we have time. I I wanted to share with you. I I think I I alluded to at the beginning of this message what I think God was showing me to as I was going through this. I haven't done a message in a while, as you guys know. And here I'm going to confide in you. Here was my Samson stumbling, and it was this: when I prepare the messages, and and in particular this particular time, I said, you know what? I can analyze the text, I can pull out what I think is important, and share with you guys what I think is interesting, but as I was doing this, the irony was, it's as if God told me, hey, Dave, it's not about your analysis of the scripture, it's not about what you see there, it's what I wanna show you, and I want what you to share with everyone in the, this morning. And it was like that moment I said, oh, huh, okay. And that's kind of why, and I apologize, Jill, <laughs> but and that's kind of why I wrestled so much with this. I, I wrote this message, the first version, actually, on my plane ride home from Newark two weeks ago. And then I, 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 thought, oh, I told Tom, yeah, I think I'm kind of done. I'm 80% there, you know. And then I, I kind of wrestled with it some more and then I waited until last week, Sunday. And then I sent it out to the teaching team. And I'm like, you guys, maybe you guys can all chime in and give me your thoughts. And then we can kind of go through this stuff. And, and, you know, some folks give me some thoughts. And, and you know, Neil wrote me some really good stuff. Uh, and then I sent the wrong email address to Jimmy. But he and I talked about it on Friday, you know. By the way, Jim is not Jim J. Mishiro. It's J.T. Mishiro. Learned that one. And then, uh, and then Max calls me up at like 10.30, I think, uh, on Friday, I think it was, right? First he texted me, like, are you still up? I got some thoughts. I'm like, uh-oh. I would, literally, I was just about to click send to send another email out with the revised version when Max and I talked about 10.30 that night. And Max gave me some good words, too. He's like, oh, Dave, this and that. I'm like, oh, awesome, right? And then after I got off the phone with Max and then as I was going through it, I started to wrestle with it more and I realized this message again was for me. And like I felt like what God was speaking through Max and Neil and Jim and, and just all this stuff was like you know it's not you and your reading and interpreting of the Bible, but you got to rely on me. You got to let me speak through you to get what I want done. And I I, I felt like oh yeah I forgot that yeah. <laughs> How much did I was I praying into it when when I was on the airplane. Okay, God, please show me. And then I started writing all this stuff. I had 10 hours, 10 and a half hours to write the message, right? And I felt pretty good, right? Yeah. And right then and there, I felt like, hey, man, that's my Samson. That's my Samson. But just like that, too, there was no, like, condemnation from God. It was like, you know, but there's hope for new beginnings, Dave. And I'm going to use you, this everyday guy, sitting in coach on the flight back from Newark to get it done. So that's the backstory, And I'm thankful for people like Jill who in spite of all the craziness can still roll and make it happen up here on the media shop. So if you would stand on me, we'll pray and we'll close up this message. So hopefully, if anything, I, create, I inspired you a little bit to go read Judges 13 through 16. It's three chapters. It won't take you that long. But when you read through it, uh, as with the Bible, it's easy to just kind of read it at one level, be like, "Okay, I got it. Strong guy, all right, Eyes got you know plucked out, and you know, and they eventually cut his hair and you know all this stuff. Yeah, okay, that's one level but I'd encourage you to ask for more of God. Invite him into your reading. Invite him to show you what he wants to show you. There's so many times, I think you've heard this, people who read the Bible many, many times will say like, you know what? I've read this passage like five plus 10 times and I never saw that. And that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. So if there's anything, I what would, I would, my hope would be is you would read Judges, read it this, during the series, read 13 through 16, maybe later tonight, this afternoon, and let God speak to you, all right? Let that be new beginnings, all right? Heavenly Father, God, we, we thank you for the book of Judges. We thank you for this series, God. We thank you that you show us that even in our disobedience to you and even in in that, you still love us and that consequences of our decisions can actually be good. That in your love for us, you allow us to feel the brunt of these consequences, God. We thank you, Lord, that you would use everyday people, not just the special people with titles and status, but just everyday people, And we hunger for you to use us, Lord, in that way. And God, we know that as humans, just like in in the book here, as the Israelites stumbled, we will stumble. We will not make the best decisions all the time. We will not behave the best all the time. But God, you still love us and you give us new beginnings. No matter what we did in the past, you give us new beginnings. So I thank you for that message. I thank you for the story of Samson, Lord. We just want more of you. Would you use every single person here in this room today for your will? In Jesus' name, amen.